Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Perringer. We want to get into his Word today as we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'll read the entire chapter here in just a little bit. It's a short chapter, not very long. Unfortunately, many people die with regrets. I mean, no one necessarily sets out on that journey. I mean, I don't think there's anyone who says, you know what, I think I'm going to do a whole lot of mindless things in my life. And then, when my life comes to an end, I want to feel the burden of having accomplished absolutely nothing. I don't think anyone sets out for that. Most people set out to do something with themselves and to do things. Things, but the problem is the things that they want to do doesn't have a lot of value because they're so concentrated on the here and now. They don't do something that will outlast them. Because think about this. How many men and women have built empires for themselves at the expense of their family? And now their family hate and despise them because of what they have done. How many people went in pursuit of gaining the whole world only to find out that it came at the cost of their own soul? Now, we Christians might think, you know, that's a problem of the world. That's for unbelievers. I mean, unbelievers do that. But there's nowhere that it says that Christians will die without regrets either. Now, we won't regret believing in Jesus. You'll never regret putting your faith in Jesus Christ. He is our light. He is our life. But what we might regret is what we did or did not do with what it is that Christ gave us. How we utilize the time and energy he gave us in this world. Did we use it for something eternal? Did we use it for something temporary? I'm not talking about we would ever regret serving the Lord. You'd never regret serving the Lord. But we might regret not having the right motives. I mean, yeah, we'll go through all the religious motions of doing, all right, I'm going to do the religious thing. You know, I did go to church usually, and I did serve here and and there, but our hearts weren't into it. I just did it because it was expected we need to remember that how and why we serve the lord is just as important as what we do to serve the lord our motives our attitudes what's behind it is just as important in fact charles spurgeon put it this way he said it is not what your hands are doing nor even what your lips are saying the main thing is what your heart is meaning and intending So believers are not called just to mindlessly do this Christianity thing. Yeah, let me just do it. It's expected of me. We're not not called to just mindlessly go through motions. Yeah, we do it to glorify Him. Yes, we do do it to make Him known. But what is the attitude behind all of it? What is it that drives us to live as Christians? And what we find throughout Scripture is the motive, the attitude of love. Love is the motivator. Love is the method. Love is the means. Love is the mindset. 
that initiates and support whatever ministry we do, whatever it is that we do in His name. Now, when you think of love, you might first think about the Apostle John, because he is known as the one whom Jesus loved, and he's known as the Apostle of love. He wrote many neat things about love in all of his works. But it's interesting, you can't forget about Paul. Paul also emphasized love. In fact, it was Paul who wrote the chapter that we're looking at today. 1 Corinthians 13, it is known as the love chapter, and Paul is the one that wrote it. Now, quite often, you know, we use this at weddings. In fact, this scripture was read at my wedding. But it's not just about marriage, although it obviously applies to marriage as well, but this chapter is about you and me. This chapter is about Christians. This chapter is about living as people of love. We need that because we need a reminder of why we do what we do and how we do what we do for the Lord. And what I want us to find in this chapter is that Christianity, a Christian's life, a Christian's walk with the Lord is more than just mindlessly going through the motions, following the actions, just mindlessly doing what is expected. We are moved and we are motivated by God's love to us and then through us. We're moved by love. This is living the Christian life without regrets. You will never regret living out of love. Everything we say, everything we feel, everything we do, every ministry we participate in, we do it in love because love is the greatest of all. Love is the greatest of all. And Paul tells us that in 1 Corinthians 13. So why don't we stand in reverence to the reading of God's holy word as I read this chapter. This is what Paul has to say about love. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It, it is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For right now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall be fully known fully, even as I've been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, I pray we don't forget that. In our weakness and in our sinfulness, we forget what is behind it because you so loved us lord then now let that love so shine into a world 
that desperately needs it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So what does Paul tell us about infusing this love into our Christian walk and ministry? First, I want you to see in verses 1 through 3 that he tells us that, that love is more prominent than our spiritual gifts. Love is more prominent than our spiritual gifts. So this chapter, this chapter 13, is kind of a parenthesis. It's kind of a quick detour from what Paul is originally talking about, although it obviously is applicable to what Paul is talking about. Because in chapter 12, in this previous chapter, Paul, he's writing about the spiritual gifts. God, through the Holy Spirit, empowers people to, with these gifts to use within the body of Christ, the church, so that through us using our gifts, the church is, grows, it matures, it, it is edified, it is encouraged. And, and you know, some people, they, they have one certain gift, other people, they have another gift. I mean, we're all gifted differently so that the church does work as a body. So the body would mature and grow. If you're a believer, you have a gift. God has gifted you. And no matter what gift you have, it is important and it is needed within the body of Christ. So that's chapter 12. And then the theme is picked up again in chapter 14. But here's chapter 13 in the middle of all of it. So why, why does Paul go on this kind of detour, this rabbit trail? You know, typical Baptist preacher, he goes on a rabbit trail during a sermon, following a different road. Why does he go on the, uh, this route? Well, it would appear in the church in, in Corinth that there were people within the church who thought that their gifts were more important than everybody else's, and they kind of made it known. My gift's more important than yours. They looked down their noses at other people and their gifts. They thought that their gift made them pretty hot stuff in the church or something like that. You know, and, and it's possible while using their gifts, they poorly treated other members of the body because they didn't think other members of the body of Christ rose up to their level. We are all that, they thought. And this is within the Corinthian church. You know, we already know the Corinthian church was a problem child. This was just another symptom of the problem. And Paul was going to set them straight like he did with, with everything else. So what does he tell them? Well, to kind of summarize what he tells them, Paul tells them that no matter what it is that they do for the Lord, no matter what their gifting is, whatever gifts that they had, if they used that gift and served in the church without love, for God and people, then what they were doing is useless. And it gave no spiritual benefit to them, and it gave no spiritual benefit to the body. People were going around using their spiritual gift, doing their thing, but they strutted like they were all that. They thought they were such hot shots. And then they thought, well, I'm just so good at what I do and what God has given me. I mean, God is going to give me such a great reward, and I'm so much higher than the rest of you so in their hearts it was all about them the spiritual gifts were all about them and there is no heavenly reward for that and paul talked about heavenly rewards earlier in chapter three and now he specifically applies it to whether love is the method or the motivation or whether love is not because in chapter three he he told them that if if their life and their ministry was not built upon spiritually 
solid ground, you know, and he, he uses the, the picture of um, precious stones, gems, things like that. If, you, if what you do is not built upon precious stones, then it's made out of wood, hay, and stubble. And that would be burned up. I mean, yeah, they would still be saved, but all their supposed good works would be burned up. So to apply it here, it, you do a bunch of what is considered generally in the church good works, but you are not moved by love for brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't expect a reward. It's going to be all burned up. If you're not moved by love, it's, it's, if it's not your motivation you do, for what you do for the Lord, do not expect your works to follow you into heaven. I mean, yeah, you're going to make it into heaven. I guess to use the, the, the picture or the metaphor that he used in chapter 3, you're going to make it to heaven, but you're going to be smelling like smoke. Your good deeds, they were burned up because they were not done for the right reasons. But even regardless of the, the eternal aspect of all this, Using your spiritual gifts here on earth without love is useless. If you use your spiritual gift without having love in your heart for the God that you serve and for the people that you serve, I mean, what you do is useless. Paul says that you could give the most wonderful sermon, you could give the most, the most amazing Bible study where people are just in awe of your speaking skills, but you do not have love then it's nothing but loud clamor. I mean, you could give this impassioned speech, you could use the most flourishing words that captures people's attention. And if it is not moved and motivated by love, it's as useless as taking a drumstick and banging a cymbal in someone's ear. Or another thing I thought about this morning, if you are not motivated, motivated by love and you're using speaking gifts, you sound no better than the teacher on Charlie Brown. Because if you're not motivated by love, all people are going to hear is wah, 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 wah. It's useless noise if you're not motivated by love. He says that you could be empowered to understand and explain deep spiritual things of the Lord from Scripture. You could have faith where you literally move mountains. But if you do not have love, you are nothing. I mean, you think you're something. Look at me. Look at my spiritual gifts. But you are nothing. He says here, you could do the most selfless acts that, there, that are possible on earth. You could give everything you have to the poor. You could even allow yourself to be killed. You could give your life on behalf of other people. And if you do not do it out of love, you have accomplished Nothing. So yes, you are spiritually gifted. But if you are not moved by love, if you are not motivated by love, what's the use? You're, not, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it for the wrong reasons. Well, how could that be, though? We're saved. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit gave us this gift. Why in the world would people use their gift for any other reason out of other than love? Well, because there's still something we have to contend with. We still have to contend with this selfish nature, sinful nature that sticks with us. And so this leads to my second point. 
Because in verses 4 through 7, Paul tells us that love is more perfect than our selfish nature. Love is more perfect than our selfish nature. It, 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 we might know people like this. We might know churches like this. We might know pastors like this. But did you know that it's possible to use your gift and do all these wonderful good works and be a blessing to people? You could save lives, and you still do it for the wrong reasons. I mean, how in the world could that be? It's the wrong reasons because you do it for yourself. You do it so that you're going to be remembered fondly. You do it so that people will like you and think highly about you. It's all about you. You do it because you want to be the center of attention. Look at me. Look what I can do. That's why you, you're doing it. I mean, it has nothing to do with the other people. It has nothing to do with the church. It has nothing to do with, hey, I want the body of Christ to grow and mature and be strong. No, because it's all about you. You make love about you. Oh yeah, I'm doing out of love. Yeah, you're doing out of love, love for self. That's the love that you're doing it out of. That's the wrong kind of love. You know, have you ever, you know, most of the current pop songs or whatever, you know, the more popular songs over the past decades, they're a lot about love. But have you ever listened to the lyrics about what they say about love? Because so much of the love songs that we, you know, talk about, sing, listen to in the car, whatever, it has nothing to do with benefiting the other people. It has everything to do with the benefits that the singer receives. Do you know what I mean? It's not about the object of love, what the singer can do for the object of love. It's what the object of love can do for the singer. It's about, oh, how you make me feel. It's about how you make me feel. It's all about what you can do for me. Not about what I can do for you, which, by the way, is the biblical definition of love. No, what can you do for me? That's not biblical love. So to make sure that, that we understand what biblical love is, I mean, Paul goes into this list of characteristics about this is biblical Christ-like love right here. And, and you could say in summary that what Paul is saying is that true love is about putting other people first in the sacrifice of one's own self-interest, self-rights, self-desires, self, you know, with, without limiting ourselves, allowing God to love people through us, even if it means sacrifice. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? God's love, where he sacrificed his son, and so it's not about you. It's not about me. The Lord directs what, what love is all about. And you'll notice these characteristics. They, they have a lot in common with the fruits of the Spirit listed in Galatians 5, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. I mean, that's why it's called the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits of the Spirit, because it starts with love and all these other things is part of love. And it, it really, the description too is about how Jesus loved. I mean, what, what more love could God have demonstrated toward people? I mean, he so loved the world that he gave his son, and, and the son allowed himself to go and to die so that we could be with him, so that he could, he could bring us with, with, to him and, and pay for our sins. And so because God so loved us, then we reflect that love toward others. Now, we're, we're 
familiar with this chapter, so we're familiar with uh, what it says here. You know, you probably memorized bits and pieces of it in whatever translation, but have you ever considered actually what it's telling you to do? How it's telling you to live? How it's telling you to be motivated? Because what, what Paul is saying is unnatural. And that's the point. It goes against our nature. It goes against our selfish nature. It's supernatural in that it's the Spirit that has to do it uh, through us and, and within us. But he says, this is love. This is the better way. This is the greatest of all virtues that Christians can have. So what does he say about love? He says, love is patient. And right there, you know, you're thinking, ugh. Man, I, I am not good with patience. Well, what does he mean by love is patient? It, it, it's talking about controlling your wrath and anger in spite of being provoked. You know, in spite of the difficulties that someone puts you through, you're patient with them. You love them. It's talking about long-suffering toward your brother and sister in Christ without complaint, being willing to meet them halfway, even giving up your rights for the benefit of others. Yeah, but that person did me wrong. And you know what? That's fine. You try and, and reconcile, but here's the thing. You love them anyway. Love is patient. You control your wrath in spite of what they did to you. I mean, if God didn't control his wrath toward us, we'd all be in hell right now, right? Right? God is more than patient with us. He says love is kind, where you're gentle with someone and you show them constant kindness for their benefit. He says love does not envy. It means love refuses to be jealous over somebody else's blessings and success. You don't look at what other people have and then you lament over the fact that you don't have it and then you begin resenting them. Well, they got that and they got that and they got that and pff, I hate them because I got that. No, you rejoice because God has blessed them like that. You rejoice. You don't envy the fact that they have something that you don't. You rejoice with them that God has blessed them. And then it says love does, does not boast, and that's kind of the mirror image of envy because it, it, it means you don't go around bragging about what you have trying to stir up people's envy. You don't heap praise over yourself to try and stoke the fires of resentment in someone's heart. Look what God gave me. Look at what I did. Hey, look at... No. Love is not arrogant. I mean, that word arrogant literally means to be puffed up. I mean, we all know kind of what, what that, that pictures. Love leaves no room for conceit where you think you're better than other people, be it better than an individual or better than a group of people. Love leaves no room for you to think highly of yourself like that. You're, if you're a Christian, you're a sinner saved by grace, just like every other Christian. And those who aren't Christians, you mourn over the fact that they're not Christians. You don't say, well, I'm going to heaven, you're not. I mean, what, what kind of garbage is that? He says, love is not rude. It means to act disgracefully, dishonorably, indecently. It's speaking of acting in defiance of social and moral standards that could result in disgrace and embarrassment and shame. I mean, you're not going around trying to embarrass someone with your crass actions and words. 
You're not trying to tear people down by the way you act. It says that love does not insist on its own way. Let me read that again. Love does not insist on its own way. It's my way or the highway. No, not if you're going to love like Christ loved. Rather, you are willing to give up yourself and your dreams so that other people will flourish. I didn't say this love was easy. That's why I said it's supernatural. It goes against the selfish nature. I mean, look at the rest. It's not irritable. It doesn't seek to provoke someone to make them upset. You're not trying to get someone angry. You don't, you don't purposely, just for your own amusement, try and poke the bear, so to speak. Love is not resentful, is what the ESV says. Most of your other translations will say, love does not keep a record of wrongs. You don't keep tabs on other people's mistakes, but you're willing to quickly forgive and then forget about it. You're not keeping tab. All right, well, they did that to me. There's a check mark. They did that to me. There's a mark. And you're keeping record of what they did. You know, way back in 1982, you... Love does not do that. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but it rejoices in the truth. That means love does not rejoice when people sin or commit injustice, but rejoices when God's truth is lived out in people's lives. Love never celebrates sin. Knowing that sin is destructive, love celebrates the truth of God's word when it is lived out. And that's so weird because the liberal side of Christianity, thinking that they will celebrate lifestyles that are sinful, think they think they're being loving by celebrating sin. When Paul says it's the exact opposite, if you loved them, you would tell them the truth. But instead, oh yeah, you're sinning, good job. That is not love. I'm throwing stuff now. I'm getting so mad. People do that. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love seeks the best in, in people, never assuming the worst, and love also seeks the best for people, pointing them to that which is everlasting, pointing them to Christ and the cross. This is biblical love. No, it's not easy. It does not come naturally. It fights against our natural nature, our selfish nature. But this is what motivates us. This is what moves us. It's all about other people, not ourselves, because that's what God demonstrated toward us in Christ. He willingly gave His Son. The Son willingly went to the cross for the good of people so they could be saved. And so we rely on the Holy Spirit. It goes against our nature. That's why we need the heart of Christ. That's why you need to be born again. Because it doesn't come naturally. This is the better way. Because this is the greatest of all of these. Love. Love is the best way. Finally, number three, love is more permanent than our simple dreams. Verses 8 through 13. Love is more permanent than our simple dreams. We think this is what, this is what life's about and that's what life is about. Well, you know what? Love is going to outlast them all. Because beginning in verse 8, Paul talks about the fact that love is permanent. Love is never going to disappear. 
I mean, much of what we do in this world and the way we act and what we speak, it's not going to follow us into eternity. But guess what? Love never ends. If you are a Christian, love will always be with you throughout eternity. If you're not a Christian, yeah, love ends when you pass away. Love ends the minute that your earthly life does. But if you're a Christian, and Paul is talking to Christians here, Christian service and life is about love. Did you know what? That a billion years from now, love is still going to be around. And a lot of what we think is important right now won't be around. A billion years from now, you're not going to care about that football score. A billion years from now, you're not going to care that much about that social media post. But I'll tell you what, a billion years from now, you're still going to love and be loved. A lot of the plans we make, a lot of the dreams we have won't matter. But love will still exist. Again, you know, this is within the context of spiritual gifts. Paul says that these spiritual gifts that the Corinthians were all boasting about, they're not going to last forever. Because when we're in eternity, we won't need the spiritual gifts anymore. The church is going to be perfect. The church is going to be, be there because we need the spiritual gifts now to, for the growth of the church for the encouragement of the church. But when we're in the eternal state, well, the church is going to be perfect. It won't need to grow like it does now, not that it means you know we know everything, but we're going to learn differently in, in eternity. But we're going to be in perfect harmony with the Savior, and we're going to be in perfect harmony with one another. The spiritual gifts won't be necessary anymore. And so Paul says there's going to come a time when prophecies and tongues, and tongues, by the way, means languages, and knowledge will pass away. Now, I know a lot of pastors grab this verse and say those gifts have already passed away, but within the context here of what it's saying is, no, it's, love is going to outlast the spiritual gifts. Love is more important than the spiritual gifts because the spiritual gifts aren't going to always be around. Those spiritual gifts that you're so high and mighty on, these spiritual gifts, Corinthians, that you are there, you're, you're boasting about, oh, look at me, I prophesy, oh, look at me. I supernaturally speak in another language. Look at me, I have supernatural knowledge. Well, guess what? That's going to pass away. But you know what's not going to pass away? Love. Your gifts won't follow you into heaven, but love will. Spiritual gifts are needed on this earth because the church and, and the people have a lot of growing up to do. We've got to move from spiritual childhood to spiritual adulthood. But at the end of the age, things are going to be different. I mean, we're not going to know everything. We're going to learn some, some way, shape, or form. But instead of spiritual truths being dimmed, veiled, hidden, we're going to be able to see and experience them without any sort of barrier. But you know what's still going to be around? Love. Love's still going to be around. You know, he ends with the great virtues of Christianity. These three remain, faith, hope, and love. Love is the greatest of these. Because love outlasts everything. We won't need faith like we, in the eternal state like we have faith now. You know, the things of, you know, the faith is all about what is not seen, what is hoped for. Well, we're going to see what we need to see. We're not going to, you know, have that lack. Hope is about, well, there's a promise that God gave, but I'm lacking the fulfillment of that promise right now. But I'm looking forward in hope to that promise being fulfilled. Well, guess what? In the eternal state, it's going to be fulfilled. All promises are going to be fulfilled. You, you don't have to hope for the promises anymore because you're living them. 
But you know what you're still going to be doing in eternity. You're still going to love. You're going to love God. You're going to love people. A trillion years from now, you're going to be loving God. You're going to be loving people. That will follow you from here. That's why it's the greatest. The greatest of these is love. You know, many people on their deathbed have regretted how much they worked. They've regretted, well, it might not be happening now, but one day they're going to regret how much time they spent on their phones or whatever, something like that. A lot of people coming to the end of their life have a lot of regrets. But you know what? No one has ever regretted showing love to others. I mean, you never hear people lamenting on their deathbed, you know what, I, I just loved people way too much. I mean, no, no, one, no one's ever going to say that. But I, do, I tell you what, you do hear people lamenting how little they loved while on this earth. Why live life with regrets? Whatever you do, do it out of love. And so Christian, come to the altar and ask God to shed his love abroad in your heart so that you can then share that love with other people. Come and pray that love will be at the center of all that you do. Come and pray that you would love like Christ. Wow, that's a tall order. I mean, especially considering how Paul described it. Yes, that's a tall order. That's why you need supernatural power to do it. So come and pray for that. But, but maybe there's some here you've never trusted in Christ. Well, if you've never trusted in Christ, you don't know what love is. You can't receive love and you can't give love because you haven't lo received that love because God so loved the world that he gave his son. So he died on the cross. He paid the penalty for our sins. Whoever believes in him has eternal life. And then, guess what? You are loved and loved for eternity. And if you want that love during the invitation, I'll be up front. I want you to know Christ as well. Let us be a loving people. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.